Hey everybody, welcome again to this episode of the Game Detectives Podcast. Today I'm joined by Travis and Cusack, and we're going to be talking, well, and Cusack's plushie, excuse me. Yes. You can't see it because my, my... I'm too lazy to record a, a video, but... <laughs> you can it's put, better you, that no, we don't have his, video. You should put his face on uh, the, the video thing, like the picture. I've already got some plans in mind. Let's just say that. Okay, then I'll, I'll, I'll let you go then. I'm sure if you, you take a picture of your plushie, I'll put it in there. <laughs> I got a really important point that we need to start off with. Okay, all right, Travis, we're starting with you. Cusack, I know, first of all, just for the undoctor, Cusack is actually scientifically proven to be the world's biggest Undertale fan with multiple dissertations <laughs> under his belt. But I have heard Cusack <laughs> on multiple occasions do a flawless Sans Undertale impression. And I, we'll, we'll get to you doing it, but here's my question because I was thinking about this and preparing my notes. The fact that you can do a flawless sans impression either means one of two things either you were naturally gifted with that ability or you have spent a lot of time practicing it to yourself travis you you of all people know that i'm a master impressionist and i try my hardest to learn different kinds of voices I, um as you remember before i i have a uh, we have a fun little group chat where I will send, you know, a random impression. Sometimes it'll be mediocre. Sometimes I'll try really hard on it. But, but, but what you say is true. When I when I'm very much attracted to a certain voice or a certain thing, I very much work hard on that accent. So, uh, yeah, I can. My Sans impression is pretty damn good. Give them. Give the audience what they want. Yeah, let's let's hear it. Good. Good. Oh, now that I see the video, I see that's how you do it. You do the um, SpongeBob laugh thing that yes. the guy does. Tom Kenny is one of my biggest idols when it comes to voice acting, and uh, I, I, I definitely love to watch voice actors do their stuff. So I, there's major inspiration from that for sure. If they ever do an Undertale anime, you gotta be the voice. <laughs> Yes, and, and can it just be? It's just the and, sound, and, though. And, you're not ty- you're not saying lines. The lines just appear mm-hmm. in the subtitles, and you do that voice. Will they just repeat, you know, a bit of line of me doing that, or yeah. do I have to do that the entire? You have time to do it the entire, the entire time. You need to record five I mean, we, hours. We need authenticity here, don't we? We need some major authenticity. So yeah, <laughs> there's no point if we're just gonna half, you know measure it honestly at at this point the idea of an anime kind of goes well into talking about the first point i want to talk about is that undertale is like surprise i like we were talking before about merch and and like it's become a surprisingly big cultural phenomenon um and i wondered if we want to talk a little bit about like why it became such a big deal when it did. I think it came out in 2014. Yeah, 2013, 2015. 2014. Okay, 2015. 2015. But, you know, I think there are demos for it that kind of came out and advertised for it in yeah. 2014. So I think, you know, people kind of were aware that it was coming to play around that time. Yeah, Travis had mentioned in our group chat that he, that Toby Fox was already kind of known in specific communities for modding. And for like, yeah, he did um, Earthbound and Mother Three 
mods. Yep. He's famous for and like the really childish Mother Three mod where they swear and like call each other gay and stuff. It was, it's very bizarre to go look back at. I'm sold. <laughs> well, what's what's funny is that if you ever play one of his Earthbound mods, you know the very famous song from Undertale, Megalovania, actually was featured in that game. Uh, but it wasn't as refined as it was as it was in Undertale's. But yeah. it's, it's pretty funny because you listen to it and you're like, oh, cool. Like, he was making all this music and then he decided to take something he already made and throw it into the, the mix of things. So the question David's kind of posing is, why do we think this became such a phenomenon? Or why this particular game? And I think what immediately comes to mind of me is video games are the hardest medium to have the very pretentious phrase authorship, which is different than authorship for some godforsaken reason. But when you have a Hideo Kojima game like Metal Gear Solid, you have a game that, you know, 80 people worked on and tens of million, maybe 100 million, lots of money, lots of people went into. That isn't really a Hideo Kojima game. Now, Undertale is a Toby Fox game. And I think that, I mean, this wasn't the first, obviously. You could go back to stuff, and we'll probably come back to stuff like the Stanley parable, but this really broke the mainstream in terms of what, and I know other people did some stuff for, but this is basically one person uh, composing, programming, putting everything together, and kind of just pushing aside all the rules. There's such a thing right now with video games. It's got to be 80 hours long, it's got to have a million hours of side quests. Fallout 4 has to be ten times the size of the continent of the United States. But this was one guy that said, I have a story I want to tell. I have a unique gameplay idea. It's only four or five hours long, but I'm just going to do it. And I think that resonated with a lot of people, just this pure, unadulterated vision. So in that long thing I just said, why do I think Undertale has got to the point it is, I would say vision would be the word I would put. This is a person's idea and voice kind of put plainly. And that's something that's, I mean, you see more of it now, but it's more difficult to find in video games than any other medium, I think. I agree. It's, there is a kind of general consensus in terms of like gaming history that Braid is kind of like the first really indie game like, for the computer that became a big deal outside of, like, its immediate fan group. I would say Undertale represents a new shift in that, though. Uh, just in terms of how, like, culturally significant it was. It doesn't feel... I mean, like, the artourship is so there. Like, if you did not have a clear vision as to the gameplay, to the music, to the story, and how everything interacts together. Like, if, if, if this game wasn't a tight ship you know that was run then it wouldn't have the kind of impact it would because even if you know somebody liked the game and then shared it with their friends it wouldn't be played as much if it didn't function as a game and an artistic vision i think that the difference between something like this and something like braid is you could almost call this the the post-modernist take on indie where we're at the point where again this kind of starts with stanley parable but you have independent games that are built from the ground up with what an idea of an independent game is. Braid, when you're at that point, it's like we're just trying to make a game on a smaller scale. But you get to these games where the fact that it is a small, singular, 
independent experience is not only relevant to the story, but also the game. Like, it, it's all intertwined. The fact that it is what it is is integral to what it is, which sounds stupid, which it is. <laughs> well, well, I, I mean, I, I think when I remember, I remember when I was first playing the game, you know, I think I, I didn't even play it until like 2017. So it was already super hyped. And I think I was like, all right, let's give it a try. And I remember going through it and, you know, every so often being pleasantly surprised. There were uh, so many things in that game, you know, even from the beginning. You know, you start off going to talk with Flowey, and when he betrays you. Plot twist. You know, you're like, yeah, and you're like, oh, dang, you know, this game is, is going for some edge. Even though... You know, and I think what I really enjoyed about the game was that what made me progress. Because I've, t- I've talked to people who dislike the game and said that sometimes they believe sometimes it can drag. I've noticed people say that. And, you know, I think where they're coming from is that, you know, maybe it's the crowd that likes guns and swords. I don't know. But it, but I, I mean, think that's when a you're, pretty big generalization. Maybe. I mean, from. I mean. But when you kind of a character who kind of just goes left, right, up, down, and then that's also how the, you know, gameplay works when you're avoiding with your heart, I think maybe that's where people kind of were turned away from it because they find more excitement when you're, when it's fast pace. And I think I at think times, if somebody's committed to playing uh, indie pixel game, they can get past that part. I wonder if there's not because I, mean, I, I do did. think there are sluggish gameplay mechanics, and I do think there are problems with the structure that I could see people being turned off by if you aren't in it a hundred percent. But I don't think, I think if you're turning this on and trying it, you're already past the the precipice of, I, I only like shooty games. Cause you wouldn't even, well, you wouldn't even pop this in. Well, and, and that's the thing. And, and, and again, obviously, as you know, this is probably on my, if not my favorite game on my top five, you know, I, I think what really got me to keep progressing was that I knew that if I kept going, something else was going to, you know, surprise me. And every time it happened, whether it was, you know, a robot singing some sort of Romeo and Juliet thing, or, or it was, you know, something actually really depressing with subtext. You know, I, I found myself just, you know, wanting more as I was going. I was like, okay... They really presented something here, and it seems like they're going to stay consistent. I want to keep going. And that ties into the one theme of the game that they like to kind of implement into you is determination. Mm. You know, they kind of, you know, they want you to progress and see what is the turnout going to be, you know, if I kind of keep progressing through this world. That, And again, there, there is no sort of preparation for what you're getting into with this game. All you know is that you fall down a hole full of monsters. Well, I would argue that the vast majority of people going into this game, somebody told them or they know at some point that you have to play through it multiple times. And you could yep. say that that determination aspect um, plays into that because you have to be determined to replay segments. But I would argue that, you know, like 75 to 80, unless they played it at the very beginning um, would not think that the game... It's the same thing with... Um, Dave, you've been playing uh, Nier Automata, right? 
it's the same thing with that, where it's just like you have to the the way the game is built, it's very obvious that your first playthrough isn't everything, but at the same time, the game doesn't. <laughs> I think in Nair Automata, a prompt literally comes up that says, "This is not the end. You need to play." Like, it's like it just flat out tells you because Undertale doesn't make it clear, and I could see in the very beginning somebody playing that and finding it to be a very disappointing experience and then also being upset that when you're having to play through multiple times there are large segments of the game that are completely unchanged we're talking like an hour two hours where nothing is really different and the game is not uh mechanically deep enough for some of these parts to really be fun i noticed that when i was playing near automata is the different playthroughs are completely different in terms of how you play and in terms of what happens and i do think mm -hmm. undertale loses a little bit when you're like, oh, I just want to see the ending. Just like I might as well just watch a YouTube video because I don't want to play. In fact, I'm pretty sure that's what David did. I mean, if I'm honest, that's what I did when I was too frustrated with the genocide route. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like I did, I did the first route, the only route you can do when you first play it, right? And I tried doing like the mix, right? Yeah. And I just, yeah. I did as much of like the saving I could of of like or like being. I forget what they call the mercy, mercy the route. The pacifist route. Yeah, the pacifist, pacifist route. route. I tried doing it as much as possible. And then I realized like, oh, I can't do the pacifist route the first time around. So then I Googled how to do the pacifist route. Um, because there are some like special character things you need to do that I didn't necessarily like think about when going through it. So like I, I knew I had to avoid all the enemies um, and like mercy them. But when it came to the genocide route, I'm like, I don't. I don't, I could see why, like, somebody playing it who's really invested in it would find it meaningful to do it that way after playing through, like, doing the Mercy way. For me, it wasn't as fruitful just because, like, I didn't want to put in the time to kill all of the, you know, all of the enemies in every single section and then also do these, like, extremely difficult battles. For me, that's just not something that I find engaging. And I'm not saying that other people don't. It's just not something I'm interested in. And by the time I think I got to, like, the... F um, I don't think you beat Undyne. Uh, yep, that's what it was. I was like, I... As soon as I was facing her, I'm like, I I don't really... For the pacifist or the genocide, the genocide. route? I'm genocide. Like, I mean, it's much, I, yeah, much more difficult. And that's she's intentional. She's really hard. Date. She's super so, hard. So I'm just like, I can just... Like, I can read descriptions of, like, what happens. And then I'll just watch the ending. Um, and for me, that was fulfilling because I had already done the the pacifist route. I could see why other people playing it would find it enjoyable to do it that way. For me, I did find it a bit tedious just because I didn't really want to approach the game that way. I didn't find much meaning mm -hmm. in it um, beyond the story bits. Do you feel like bits. the structure of the game holds it back? Because if you need... If you need, like, a wiki or a manual or somebody to explain to you how many times you have to beat the game and follow very specific rules to do it, is that bad game design? Even if it's used for a narrative purpose, it still seems like it's so kind of obtuse. Well, this is part of why I think it's so popular, is that it almost requires there to be a fan community around it in order mm -hmm. for people to understand what's going on or how to complete exactly. it. And so I'm, I'm thinking back to games like Contra, for example, um, like way back when, when it's like, if you're going to beat it, you need to know the Konami code. And really, the only way you can figure it out is through word of mouth, right? Um, 
I feel like this is kind of similar in that, like, if you're going to beat this game, you need to communicate and talk with other people, or at least read what they've said about how to clear the game. And that's, that's gameplay-wise something that it does, but then that also is character-wise and story-wise, like, I think that's part of the meme, like, it's very memeable, and I feel like that ties in with the gameplay well, where it's like, if you're Googling how to play the game, you're also going to be running into all of these fan theories and all. And I'm not saying Toby Fox, like, manipulated the game to construct this entire world where it became no, popular. No, I don't think anybody would want to create this on purpose. <laughs> I think people, I think people like Five Nights and Freddy's, they make these communities and they have trouble sleeping at night. Yeah, uh, nobody wants... I, I will say that this is one of the... As much as I love this game... And as much as I love Steven Universe, they have the most <laughs> toxic fan bases, and I try my best to distance myself from them. Those are your two defining personality though. traits, or that you like Steven Universe and Undertale. So what does that well, say about I mean, you? They, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, for me, it says this: I can enjoy some quality content without it, without self-destructing myself. How can you enjoy it without contributing to it? Define that. What am I? What, what do you mean contributing? Well, if the community is toxic and you enjoy it, you're part of the community. So, I will say, if in my part, I mean, I'm part of the community, but I, but am I part of the fa- the toxic fan base? What's because your I, best ship in the game? Oh yeah, uh, let's see. Uh, I would say Sans and Toriel. Yeah, see, so you're part of the problem. If you don't like furries, go away. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I mean. Here's the thing: Am I really part of the problem if I'm not, you know, shoving my opinions and thoughts in front of everybody's face? You're the one who actually asked me and said, "Hey, tell me what you think about this." So really, I think I'm t- a lot more tame than what we are describing. Well, and um, in case you plebeians <laughs> don't know, just saying, just saying. Hey, in case you plebeians don't know, I'm getting a. Uh, I just got my master's degree in this, and I'm about to get my PhD. So let me just say, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, careful, bro, because I just got my PhD in social <laughs> stuff, and I'm about to get my my doctorate. So no, um, I think there's there's a level of participation and fandoms that people can engage in, right? So um, Cusack may really like it, but he might not necessarily go to like. Uh, a convention dressed up as one of the characters um whereas somebody who likes cosplay they might have never played the game they just like the look of one of the characters right so there's different ways that people can interact with the game in ways that might not even necessarily mean playing it and i think that's one of the strengths of the game and why it's so popular is that again going back to the clear vision you have characters that are very like well-defined in the graph like the graphics are well defined the characters have a particular vision behind their their like physical design and their character yeah great designs yeah they have really good silhouettes in it because each character really has one main pose and you can look at like what the seven main characters and pretty much understand what they're about just by the pose and then even the um just the little voices that they have say a lot. Like, mm-hmm. even just the, the... I'm glad that it's not voice acted, and I'm glad it's not nothing, because you can kind of understand what characters like Toriel would sound like if they were speaking just by the... It's It does it much better, I think, than games like um, like Banjo-Kazooie. And I love Banjo-Kazooie, but they're not 
they give you burps and farts and stuff to work with. This is a little bit more nuanced, I think. But I think part of the reason why it's so popular then is not only is it just like constructed well, but it's able to be transferred to an online medium that isn't the game itself. So if you think you, of yeah. if you think of things like Fortnite, for example, it's the same way. Where like you don't really care about the characters. Well, some people do. Um, but it's like the dance moves, the memes behind it are all very shareable content in ways that like I know what the Fortnite dance move is because I've seen like TikTok cringe videos. But I've played the game once. Right. And like literally same one playthrough. Can, the exact same can be said about Undertale for yeah, sure. Yeah, so it's like so like part of what makes it so popular then is that you're able to kind of engage in the community without actually playing through the game itself. Which you know, like, I think you made a real oh but I was just gonna say it sounds counterintuitive that 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 idea of like not having to play it, but that's what makes it popular, and that's what makes things popular like Pokemon too. Where you don't have to understand how the gameplay works. You don't need to know that Pikachu is an electric type Pokemon and all of its stats in order to understand the iconography behind it. I think what you said earlier was a really good point when you brought up Contra. Because not only is this game aesthetically uh, supposed to be like an older Nintendo game, but this again goes with the two I brought up earlier, which are kind of like the big three in, you know twisty twisty indies and I, I would say five nights and freddy's which i've actually never played uh doki doki literature club and this game um there's mystery to it it kind of reminds me of when i'm a kid trying to beat um zelda with my friend blaine before the internet was a thing and we had to try and put pieces together and guess because this isn't a big team it's not heavily advertised doesn't have all this money there's a lot of things that exist in these games that have question marks there's a lot of uh, questions. There's a lot of little hidden Easter eggs, and part of that community is coming up with fan theories. You know, the Steven Universe mm. or Sans <laughs> is Steven after not surviving. Oh, no. There's there's room to play around with fan theories because so much is left open, and I think that was I think that's kind of like its own genre of indie, which is kind of going out of style right now. But just like these twists, these weird elements, these questions. And I wonder if it's almost a little bit dangerous, like you were talking about, it builds these expectations to be constantly surprised and to have constant mysteries. I remember, Cusack, when you were playing through um, Night in the Woods, you were talking to me and you said, oh, this is okay, but I, I want something a little bit more, you know, kind of pulled under your feet, like a little bit more surprise. And it's like, I think it's almost a little bit dangerous that these games are becoming so popular because now there's the expectation of a grand twist, grand lore. There has to be, you know, pages and pages of what this character's dead cousin's life was like. And I think that's an unrealistic expectation. And perhaps you're right, because I think what I'd, I'd say Undertale was one of the first indie games I really got myself into with Celeste being a second one. And then I started investing in a lot more of them. And I kind of discovered that you know, when you don't have a large budget and when you don't have, you know, the, you know, the biggest resources as like God of War does, you have to be, you have to up the ante on your storytelling. You have to up the ante on your uh, characters. You have to up the ante on a lot of things. I like to compare it to 90s cartoons. 
Mm. You know, 90s cartoons were really good in quality, even though some of the animation was kind of crap. But what made them so good was that they had to compensate for that animation. They had to really work extra hard on some of that extra stuff. And I think that's why I really appreciate a game like Undertale, because I felt that the storytelling was phenomenal. I felt that the music was phenomenal. And I felt that when you're able to put that stuff on a simple, you know, pixelized game, it shows that you're, you're, I don't know. I feel like limitations actually enforce creativity. Oh, absolutely. All the most creative things are done under duress. It's when you have the unlimited budget that you have these boring, bland, mm-hmm. empty worlds and you're focusing on making sure the skin pores look good when you're not focusing on whether or not I enjoy the characters. That's why I want, let's phase out these huge games. Let's have four to six hour experiences with a lot of love put into them. This should be not the like, this shouldn't be the small thing. In the experiences like this should be just as common as as the big boys well and and again not to hate on kingdom hearts 3 but that's the opposite (laughs) that's the example of where they put a lot of budget into these in just places that don't need it why do we need a whole reanimated cutscene of frozen's let it go to compensate for just terrible dialogue and storytelling it's just (laughs) it doesn't make sense it's it it, I mean, how much money went into going into that cutscene? A lot, you know? probably. I will probably. say something you can give Kingdom Hearts. I, I will never deny that they have vision. It's it's an atrocious and unpleasant and boring vision, but they love it and they stay there. They are uncompromising in their nonsense. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Because again, like Toby Fox is from these modding communities. And is advertising this game in 2014 and 2015 on YouTube, on Twitch, with mm-hmm. like people who are popular for playing through games. I feel like it's, I don't want to say it's like the ultimate fan game, because it's not, but it also is. It kind of is, I totally get what you're saying. And I guess the same thing as yeah. Doki Doki, that guy was the Project M yep. modder, and that game really got popular I mean, that's kind of the new thing, and I don't even blame them for playing that way, is trying to get streamers and YouTubers to do your game. I think that's a really great way to share what you've made and help get attention. I, I think some people would consider it to be kind of like manipulative or underhanded, but I don't think it is that way at all. I think it's the perfect way to run this. Yeah, well, and if you want to talk about manipulative and underhanded, that's what advertising is. So, <laughs> like, traditional advertising is that way. So you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. I... I do, and this is part of the research I'm doing, I see so much creativity coming out of mod communities in general, but I think that that idea of like having a game that fans can enjoy is also just imbued throughout the experience. Um, and that's the ethos of like shareable content. Again, I don't think he meant like Sans Undertale to become this huge meme, but it's written in such a way where... There's no way he meant it to be on Smash Bros. Oh, my God. No he bet he never saw that coming in a million years. A million years. I mean, I was kind of like on the fence of, you know what? It would be so cool. There's no way they're going to do it. There's I love no it. way. And then sure enough, they made... Even the fact that... It's not a character, but the fact that they made him a skin... They put the song even, in. That's even what to makes have it. them just involved I mean, in there, it, it's just like wow. They put they'll put that, Tekken that, and crazy. Mega Man characters in as a costume, but they don't get a song. It's like Sans 
was above every other because none of the other meat <laughs> costumes before him came with the song. So that was their way of saying, you know what? He, he's a, he's a cut above the rest. That's a powerful message, <laughs> I think. Well, I was gonna say like because Cuphead got the same mm-hmm. sort of praise, and they totally deserve it. Because uh, would Cuphead be considered an indie game? Oh yeah, that was yeah. two. That was two brothers. Because it's a running gun. Two. I was gonna say because. I think what I really appreciate about giving those guys the spotlight is you're rewarding people for, you know, going above and beyond on a project. And even though it got like major praise and such, you know, you're giving it, you're giving those guys praise because they didn't have, you know, a huge budgeted team around them to kind of do things, you know, again, I look at Cuphead and I'm like, how many times did they have to draw in general to get that game done? Yeah. Oh, everything's you know I mean? hand like, drawn. That takes, they hand drew every that frame. That is insanely, yeah. insanely hard work. And and I, and and honestly, I would rather see them get some sort of acknowledgement from Smash Bros. than God of War. You know? Yeah. yeah. You really on fashion. the God of War train? Sorry, it's just one that's on my mind. I, I played it recently. I really like God of War. I don't want it to come off as I hate that game, but that's just an example of what happens when you have a really good budget, a really good story, and you get kind of that stuff in there, you know, with as many people as you can on a project compared to Undertale and Cuphead where you only have, you know, limited people working on it. Yeah. So, David, here's what I was thinking, too, because you were talking about just the entire, I mean, this immense, almost unprecedented kind of fan reaction community. We know that Toby Fox is working on a project. Maybe it's a sequel. Maybe it's a spiritual successor. I don't think it's going to be possible for him to make this project and not have an element of it be the fan response to Undertale. I guarantee you that a huge element of this game is going to be either commenting, criticizing, and some sort of exploration of this. Because, I mean, it's like what we talked about with Dongan Rampa, where they're kind of just confused about the... But this is on a whole other scale. This is ten times the fandom of Danganronpa, and this is one guy. He's probably overwhelmed and terrified. And maybe I'm projecting, I don't know. But I bet you that that is going to be an element of that game because it seems impossible to continue what's... Cause, I mean, how do you even continue? You, your fan expectations have to be... I think it's insane what he's doing. I think it's absolutely insane. Are you are you talking about Delta Rune or are you talking yeah, about talking his about other Delta project Rune. with Game Freak? Okay. I, like, the only way that he could approach it I think would just be like, fuck it. <laughs> I'm just gonna. It's gonna be do a burn it to the ground ending. Yeah. There's gonna I be Game something. Detectives was family friendly, David. <laughs> <laughs> the twist is gonna be that you, the player, are Sans. There's gonna be something like that. I guarantee, because it's just too much. <laughs> so Sans is Monica, is Travis Schultz. No. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, that's oh a god. whole. I mean, just the whole the the Matt Pat game theory garbage is its own genre the man that man has probably made tens of thousands of dollars on videos about characters let alone the game itself see i think people and and this is where that toxic fan base comes in and this is why i don't want to be associated with it because people like because they were wowed on something they want to think that there's more things deep that they aren't seeing and maybe there are and, and again, I don't know how big a fan you guys are. You wrote are a paper on this show. How can I you think... criticize people for reading more into it? Now here's here's my problem. Here's my problem, and it's one of those things where, uh, Travis, I I I I think if I'm correct, you're not 
a fan of Rick and Morty. Uh, I don't know about you, David, but the same can be said about that toxic fan base where people are, you know, they're so invested into theories, they're so invested in connecting things, and sometimes it's to the point where it's like, you know, guys, can it just be a really enjoyable game? Like, can it really just be that simple? And I think that's where I find the separation between me and that fan base. And as much as I don't think there's anything wrong with looking for a deeper meaning, I think that, you know, sometimes a hammer is just a hammer. Am I right, though, that that. you yourself found deeper meaning in this? Like I said, you wrote a paper about this, which would imply that you had a lot... I found deeper meaning, but but I'm, I'm not talking about finding deeper meaning in a game. I'm talking about, you know, searching for any sort of surprising factor and acting like it's deep it's a you difficult know, line man because it's like it's like you're saying it's like you're saying those people they went too deep but i went just deep enough like it's kind of it's kind of muddy that's hypocritical. Maybe, maybe it is it's just that i i think there's a passion that i see sometimes where people when they find they see someone disagree with them they can get hostile and i've seen that in the community i've seen it where and I think maybe it's that hostility I don't want to be associated with. I was going to say, this kind of ties in with the Deltarune thing. It's um, kind of like wrestling control over the meaning of it, mm-hmm. right? So I think part of it is the, the idea that how I'm reading something, how I'm interpreting something, and what I see in it is the definitive answer and is the you know idea that this person is trying to make. It comes off as very authoritative. It allows you to have control and power over what other people think about it, right? So that approach, I think, is is kind of the toxic one, right? Where it's like, yes, where it's like, I agree. How with that 100%. you how you think about something and how you contribute your own ideas that's wrong, and I'm correct. The the that's where it gets really like I'm, I'm toxic, for lack of a better word. Yeah. You have to take a step back. It's just like at this point, I mean, not that the author's intention is law, but you have to know that when something has gotten this big, the original author has completely lost control over it. Like there's no... Look at J.K. Rowling. I mean... Oh, yeah, that's, that's a whole a, other thing. <laughs> I, I, mean, we, I mean, we shouldn't open that can of worms, but I feel that's a good comparison. Yeah, you just like, well, when you get these intense fandoms, it's like you either have to play into it and go along with it or reject it i think toby fox just basically doesn't comment or do anything which is the only i think approach you can win with because it's gone in so many different directions that you there is no right answer there's no way to win you have lost control of your creation that's just where you're at when it gets this my my favorite thing he talked about because he 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 threw out a, a letter about deltarune when it came out i think he just and i really liked how he described it he said you know i'm not gonna be able to give you guys the same feelings I did in Undertale. It's just mm. not going to happen. I like that a but lot. But maybe, but maybe with this new game and these new ideas I have, I can make you feel something else. I think that's and that really ma- important. That it is. And I'm like, that's, and, and, and not going to lie, I really enjoyed Deltarune. I, there, I thought, there yeah, was don't a lot say of anything. Good... I haven't played it yet. I, I'll, I'll watch my spoilers. Uh, and, but I, I, what I'm excited about is that. I think he very well knows I can't just replicate what I've made. I need to think of something new in order for it to actually be meaningful. Yeah, I th- and I've run into this a lot in classes I've taken and then just, like, talking with other people online and you guys. I um, 
fan service is kind of at its worst where it's very shallow right so like you can have an easter egg that maybe like references a previous game in a series and it's like that's not meant to be super meaningful or like to make it's just to be like oh this is a fun little thing i think in games and in tv shows and movies where it's like let's have this scene in sherlock to make the to make it look like they're gonna kiss right but like then it's just a fake out or whatever I, I like could see Sherlock. the same thing happen. Let's hap- not talk bad about it. I like Sherlock. <laughs> it's, it's kind of the- <laughs> I do. I really do. I everyone. It's a good show. People come came out of the bushes like a month ago, and they're like, you know, Sherlock was always bad, right? It's Canceled. terrible. And I was like, no. I was no. like, nobody told no, me. No, no, I didn't no, know. No. I always liked it. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, there are definitely moments you can see it in shows and in games where it's like, this was made to like make people feel something, and sometimes that is meant to be like a shallow it's like comes off a shallow because it's like kind of like Cusack was saying where it's like I'm going to make you have that same feeling again but I'm not actually going to honor what that feeling is I just want you to have a reaction to it yeah that's Whereas- what the Danganronpa series did so well with was just kind of not even attempting not 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 going along with it but also cuz if you 100% reject the expectations and just do the opposite you're still playing into it yeah. your only choice is to just ignore and kind of come come to a whatever amount of clean slate you can come to yeah and that's i like the idea of like this is going to be a different thing this is and that what's smart about that then is right you have over the past 5 years Obviously, every player who's played the first one is going to be in a different place in general in life in the second one. And that's kind of the problem with fan service is that you're trying to recapture this moment, this crystallized idea in your mind as to what the ideal response to something is. And then you're trying to insert that into your new product, and it's never going to be exactly the same. It's kind of like being stuck in the past, not just in terms of like your own thoughts and emotions, but also trying to bring everybody else's thoughts and emotions from the past back to it. And that's why it so often ends up just being kind of this shallow, stupid, not very meaningful thing, because all you're doing is trying to recapture something that can't be recaptured anymore. You can't capture lightning in a bottle twice. You got lucky. Now go do something else. Don't don't try and do that again, because it's not going to... It's either going to be exactly the same, or it's going to fail miserably. Neither is fun. Yeah. Exactly, I agree. So, Cusack, Travis, I think I mentioned this to Travis before we were talking, but do you think, without Sans, that Undertale would be as popular as it is? Or do you think, like, that it would be somewhat similar? I will say this. I think what makes Undertale, and, and again, I'll try my best to stay on what you're saying. I think what makes Undertale good is that there's a lot of subtext. And I think... Sans is one of those characters that really demonstrates that, but he's not the only one. For example, mm-hmm. there are a lot of indications that depressed, even though, or not, de- sorry, I, I jumped my words, that Sans is actually a depressed person and that he uses humor in order to uh, kind of cope with what's going on. And there's evidence in the game for that. Uh, and But he's not the only character that does that. For example, uh, Alfie's has a lot of really... I mean, that's not even subtext. I mean, she pretty much just, like, literally... She straight up tells you, for sure. Uh, I mean, even characters like... uh, um, Say, Asgore, you know, have some pretty deep stuff that they don't just kind of flat out say. Like, his, his struggle 
to you know kind of stay with what Toriel believes is good and then what he believes is good for his people is kind of there too and I think Sans while he has the spotlight on him a lot of characters really do get shafted you know for that I mean I mean I think it's still without Sans I think there are a lot of really good elements in that story where he's not involved I mean I remember when you go I remember the big tone shift for me where I was like what the heck was when you go into the basement of Alf in at Alphys's Alphys's lab yeah and you're like and you discover that there is some other stuff going on that no one has even talked about yet you know and you and when you start interacting with those amalgamites especially the melting one you're like wow there's it's not just sans that's compelling with his yeah i think sans gets like the meme boost i don't think it would be a household name without that but i think undertale hits it's the moment that made the game for me was my first time playing they do a really good job with like the first hour of the game it's cute silly and fun um really funny really charming but the point where uh i didn't really understand what's happening i was fighting toriel and i accidentally killed her because they purposely don't explain it super well. Yeah. And then yep. I tried I, I think I know to with this. Uh, reload my save, and obviously it works. But then Flowey comes and tells you you can't and he, erase yep, your mistakes. Yeah, he calls you out. The same thing happened to me. And I was like, That's where the game is what it is. That's the moment that you kind of understand what you're in for. And that's before Sans is even introduced. So I don't think you need him as a character to make this piece as good of a piece that it is. But it's not gonna. It wouldn't have been as popular. Wouldn't have made as much money, and it wouldn't be the thing that it was without. He he's the breakout character. That's why he's in Super Smash Brothers. But that that moment right there is brilliantly paced, placed. They don't they they don't really give you anything to bite on before that, and that's kind of your first big nibble. And it's just it's that's. I mean that's that's what makes the game what it is. Is that moment right there. I'm so happy to hear that you also experienced that because I remember when that happened and Flowey kind of calls you out on like, hey, we know what you're doing in this game. You can't just go back and just kind of think that, you know, that it, di- it didn't happen. I was just like, oh, dang, the save stuff in this game, it's not the universal save. A lot of people would you know? be scared here. Um, I think something that 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 points to then that I think is also why I was trying, I was telling Travis that I think it's very of the time of like the 2014, 2015 wave of indie games, the meta-ness of it and the kind of the ghost in the machine aspect of it is also, I think a huge seller of the game. And you see a lot of games that do very similar things, right? Pony Island has done a very similar thing, but oh, in yeah, a different yeah. way. Yeah, it does. Doki in a Doki way, could arguably be that Doki too. Doki uh, Beginner's it's Guide. It's commenting on something very different, but you can see that it comes from the same place. Yeah, so it's like finding meeting in the meta ness of it um, is something that was is very popular. I think it might be going away a tad in terms. Yeah, because it's hard now. to keep that spontaneity, like I said. Yeah, because you get to a point where you start to expect that meta ness or like that. Because all, what all these pieces have in common is that they're forcing you to take the medium as part of the story and the kind of question, oh, you like stuff like this, well, what are the real implications of that? And there's only so many times you can do that in a row until you kind of expect it, and if you expect it, it 
is not it doesn't work as well yeah i remember for me the biggest thing was that like got me into the mindset of like the meta-ness of it and kind of creeped me out a little bit was when i was facing flowey like at the very end of my first run and there if you <laughs> die you, the entire game like shuts off right so you like you can't yep. lose i thought well you can't but the thing is it's set up in a way where you can't go after that you can't go back to previous stuff until you beat flowey yeah so he he potentially could keep wiping the floor with you until you actually are able to dodge his stuff yeah so i wasn't and... i was not very good at the game so i got killed a lot right but then <laughs> But in that, you know, if you got defeated in a different, in every other encounter to that point, if you got defeated, it would take you back to the same screen. But then when you have Flowey coming in, right, the TV face thing freaked me out because that's very meta. And yeah, very, I could like, tell. Close. I knew you would get scared by that. That's the that kind of thing that would scare you. I did not like. I do not like that. I think the TV face was Toby Fox's face. Whoa. Too. I don't like, like it. I think they confirmed that. I don't like it. <laughs> Well, but that's just a theory. A game theory. Game theory. Speaking of gay theories, David, you sent me a message <laughs> earlier today that I, I was sort of confused by. You said something like you were really uh, intrigued or surprised by the amount of just like, I guess, uh, like LGBT type like pairings and couples in this. I, yeah. I wanted you to talk more about that because I really didn't understand what you were getting at. So what I mean is like the – so when it first came out, in the U the U.S. context of like mm -hmm. in terms of just like LGBTQ representation and there's public opinion too, right? If you if this game comes out during 2015, we know the overall public opinion about it is generally positive, generally. So like oh, over 50 percent. You also know that in terms of the stereotypical gamer aesthetic and community right they're the typical quote unquote and i'm not saying the actual i'm saying the typical stereotype is that they're not very accepting of women or like lgbtq people etc see i like i like cusack was saying though i feel like people in that camp wouldn't play this exactly game at all. so but for me what then surprises me then is how does it and i think this goes back to the meme part of it where you don't have to necessarily know every single little bit of the game to understand it mm -hmm. the why it became so popular why did it beat you know ocarina of time on these websites for best game <laughs> of all time that's a very fan-centered thing right and that would mm -hmm. require people outside of the typical communities you would think would enjoy this kind of game mm -hmm. so I, what i meant by that was i'm surprised that the game hasn't gotten more below back from your typical gamer dude bros because you know, it's so yeah. popular but i think part of that is the aesthetics and the meme and the community quality where it's like you can enjoy portions of it without actually enjoying the game itself whereas you couldn't yeah. do that with like a call of duty kind of game there you need to well, I, like yeah. like the adrenaline fueled mountain dunes of it all <laughs> i think there's two things with that too i think if you make a good enough game you can do whatever you want. You can have triple tap dancing lesbians and people don't care. Not that that's a particularly controversial thing. But I think if your music and your game, like if you make a good, you know, if this was like Dear Esther or something that was um, less interactive, I could see it getting blowback. But I think the consensus is that this is just on a very basic level kind of a fun game to play. And I think that helps. 
Number two, if these characters were all humans, it'd be different. It's There's skeletons and goats. Goats can be gay. Skeletons can be gay. I don't even think a lot of these characters use pronouns because it doesn't really matter. It's like a dinosaur and a fish. I, I, I don't think the game focuses on gender identity or anything. The point is that they like each other, which is a very... In some ways, you could look at it as progressive. You could look at it as reductive. Either way, I think what it results in is a uh, a less threatening um, atmosphere in terms of like that that crowd. Like it, it feels like less of a an an impediment on your enjoyment. You you're not getting uh, <laughs> lesbians in your face. I don't know why I keep going back to that, but you know what I mean. I th- I think do you kind of mean in the way where it's like they have it involved in the game. And it's not commented on. No, for me, you know I mean, for like, for me, I it's just the, again going back to the fan thing, right? Where you have your toxic fan communities. One of those toxic fan communities is like very homophobic, for example. Um, so kind of like what Travis was saying, where it's like, a the people that would comment on that kind of stuff probably won't play this game anyways, right? Because they're they're like, where's the guns? Want to shoot something? Right. That's the stereotype of them. Right, so if you have gamers that fit into that stereotype and believe in it, they're probably not going to play this game anyways. Yeah, and I, I, I really do genuinely think that the fact that they're not humans is a huge part of that. Yeah, because I've honestly never heard too. anybody complain about that aspects of this game, but I can imagine almost identical scenarios in other games where maybe there's higher resolution graphics and more humanoid characters, and the relationships would be presented exactly as such, and have a lot of complaining. So I think that's. Yeah, I've never heard anybody. Co- I, I've heard people say they don't like the game for this and that, but never, for, which is surprising because there's almost always somebody upset when two um, creatures are in love. Yeah, so it again, it's just surprising to me. I, not that I'm saying, like Travis was saying, there's a whole lot of cultural implications of everything we're talking about. But what I mean specifically is just like that stereotypical white male fan response, which I was surprised like Travis was saying, didn't really, it didn't really become a big narrative in terms of surrounding the game. Whereas you'd see things like Mass Effect, right? Part of that or like is... like Last of Us. That's all I ever hear or about The Last, Last of, of Us, Us. too. Is like, is the... And to be fair, they, it's, it's a big part of the marketing, but it's, I think the fact that they're very well-rendered humans makes people more angry. If which, that makes sense. Which comes with a whole other can of worms that we cannot dive into and talk about fully, but... <laughs> No, and if that was an intentional choice by Toby Fox to make characters skeletons or whatever to kind of lure you in, if that was an intentional choice, it was a very smart one, I think. Anyway, I was gonna say, can we maybe we should talk about some gameplay? Because <laughs> oh, I feel like we've been. I was nobody gonna say, we, plays we, we, games we, anymore. Just watch it on we, YouTube. We've talked fifty minutes with a lot, a lot of good stuff, but I'm like, ooh, maybe we haven't really talked about the game. I enjoyed ever. it. I like it. I thought it was it's fun. fun. It's engaging. I loved it. it was I... unique. It's the right level of difficulty. It's not too hard, but it's like there are parts that are incredibly difficult, but if you stick with it's fair in its difficulty. I will say sometimes I have an issue with turn based combat as much as I love Pokemon. It's like uh, the worst I mean, turn based combat game, so your example's horrible. Well, I, well I'm, just, I'm not. No, you just listen for a second, okay? I'm saying I have. A, I'm not saying I'm not the biggest fan of it, but I know there are good ones out there, even though I play some. I'm saying that this was probably, and I know I gotta play Persona as well, but I would say this is probably the most 
fun I've had with a turn-based combat game where it's because it's there not isn't really turn-based combat. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, no, there's not a lot of sitting around at all. And it's it's not. I mean, it is turn-based combat, but then it also isn't. Right. It's so that's, intentionally made to not be fun to play it that way. Yeah, because then you would be doing the genocide route, and yeah, um, yeah. So it is turn-based, and it isn't. I don't know if you want to call them mini games. I don't know if you want to call them quick time events. Part of the point of the game, I think, is to, as nerdy as it sounds, like to collapse everything and be like, there is no such thing as like definitive categories for this kind of no, gameplay. You know, it's almost like a puzzle game at some points too. It's yeah. its own thing, really. Yeah, which is hard to do. It's hard to do in a you know in video games. Mm-hmm. People manage to do it, but it's kind of crazy. I think that's another thing about the about things like Doki Doki or Pony Island where it's like you're taking games that have established styles of gameplay and then messing with the gameplay as well, which I think also works with like the ghost in the machine aspect of it too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And having it be one person, if you have kind of a template to start with, it makes it a lot easier to make the game, especially if you're a fan of those types of games, which clearly Toby Fox was. I think also a thing to mention is, as much as we all agree that the music is really good, I think the what really the music does well is when there's ever a tone shift, it does it really, it does it so well that you kind of forget at when you know when you're maybe in maybe when you're in the basement of Alphys or Alphys's place when it's like kind of dark and scary, you forget that you once were in like a snowy fun wonderland. You're like, oh wait, that also happened earlier. Reminds me of Earthbound. And I totally for I. Yeah, I I believe I actually still need to play Earthbound. That's on my list. You you like uh, it? I I don't know. I always I always I think I'd enjoy it, but I I really enjoyed that about Undertale was that whenever there was a tone shift, it didn't. it, It felt like it was out of nowhere, but it didn't feel out of place. And that's what the I think, in terms of like background storytelling, if you want to call it that, or diet there's a whole lot of terminology in game studies that is not needed but what i what i mean is if you you need in terms of music you need to have enough variety where you can like provide background music to these different places but it also needs to feel like it's all cohesive right so you you need to have music that articulates the difference between different areas but it also can't be so different that it feels like two soundtracks from completely different games when you so we're getting i'm getting the cue from the uh from the director <laughs> for the i'm, I'm getting no i'm sorry i'm getting the cue from the helix helix mattress representative that we got to go soon so um <laughs> what lessons can we take from the game hmm there's a lot cusack what do you think let's see the biggest takeaway I'm taking from this game, and I'm sure I on a different maybe on a different day I change my mind. Uh, less is more. Uh, you know, when it comes to this game, there are so many things that, you know, there isn't flashing lights, but there's a lot of other elements that make them have to compensate for that. And I mentioned that before, you know, when it came to the limitations, how that can kind of really enforce creativity, but. That's what's really inspired me about this game is that you can really, you can make something stupendous, you know, with little resources. Yeah, less is more is definitely, or yeah, you don't have to 
You don't have to fit the mold. Trust your vision. Trust your ideas. Yep. Less is I more. I would yep. I'd say that's where I'm sitting at. This is probably more my approach because this is what I'm studying in general anyway. I would say that games are more than the game. Yes. So like, <laughs> so like, I think it's it's like both easy and it's both like stupid and smart to say that, right? Because obviously like fans exist and yada yada yada. But I think a lot of people when they're talking about games, like Huzak said, we didn't really talk about the gameplay all that much. We talked about like the cultural impact of it because that's also an important aspect of video games that isn't mm -hmm. really being discussed a lot. In terms no, of yeah. If you don't, think, if you want to know if the game is fun, uh, go watch IGN's review of it, which is bad anyway, right? <laughs> but like, even uh, even at the most popular, the most popular sites, I guess game theorists is like the counterbalance to this, right? But like, a lot of sites are like, oh, here's the top five like story beats, or here, you know, like whatever. But the the reason why I think Undertale is so is so successful. I would say a lot of games are successful is because of that fan investment beyond the physical, like how you play the game, how the game story is told. Um, so I would say in terms of both fans and then also game developers, it's like you need to understand that games themselves are also cultural products that exist beyond just what the game that you order from steam. It's beyond just the physical code that you get from it. You have to understand when you're making a game that one day it might be given to the Pope. Yeah. I would like to reflect that, in case you're listening to this, for some reason you don't know that. Um, Matt Pat did give the Pope a copy of Undertale. We don't we we don't have a Steam account, so we don't know if he played it. But it's in the it's in the Vatican. He he sent me a Dodo code the other day. That was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Game Detectives Podcast. Bye! Hey, 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 hey,